Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, Good morning to those of you joining us for the very first time uh, in the Black Hills of South Dakota and surrounding areas. Welcome to our new affiliate in Rapid City. If you're listening for the very first time to Mornings with Carmen, I am Carmen LaBerge, and this is the Faith Radio Network, and we would love to welcome you. So if you would text the word WELCOME to 877-933-2484, text the word WELCOME, to 877-933-2484. We'd love to send you out a welcome pack, let you know who we are and, well, you know, send you some goodies. That's kind of the way we roll. So welcome. Um, Thank you for including me in your day. What are we doing here on Mornings with Carmen? We are bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. So we look at the headline news. We pray uh, over it. We consider the Word of God as applied to it. We acknowledge God's goodness, His grace, His mercy, um, His ability to um, act in ways and places and spaces where we cannot. And so this morning, uh, in sort of under the hashtag of Pray the News, let me lift up a couple of headlines before we jump into our weekly conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. We do that every Friday on the show as well. So um, in terms of things you could be praying about today, things I will certainly be praying about today, the ongoing truckers uh, freedom convoy, which is now a blockade and a rising tide of protests in Canada related to all kinds of um, mandates and restrictions on liberty related to COVID-19. And so it has gone way beyond uh, a conversation about vaccines, and it is now a conversation about many, many, many other uh, concerns and grievances. Uh, And so let's be praying for voices to be heard in a way that uh, positive change could come. Right. So we want to be people who see positive change come. We want to see it come in um, in ways that that don't keep people from being able to move about freely. And so that's part of the challenge being faced as well. So uh, an ongoing conversation just north of the border, definitely affecting life on uh, on the U.S. side of the Canadian border, as well as um, many, many businesses in Detroit are being directly affected actually Detroit and surrounding areas, by the fact that the Ambassador Bridge continues to be closed. Uh, The Taliban has detained journalists working with a U.N. refugee agency uh, in Afghanistan. This is definitely um, a prayer concern today. We just talked yesterday with um, retired Lieutenant General John Bradley about what is happening in Afghanistan. This headline is out of Islamabad, Pakistan, 
two journalists working for the United Nations as well as Afghan nationals were detained in Kabul, Afghanistan, the United Nations has reported via Twitter. So a member of the Taliban intelligence unit in Kabul said that uh, people were being arrested on charges of working for Western intelligence agencies. So these are people in Afghanistan working to assist in the process of of identifying uh, and giving credentials to people who want to leave um, and they want to do so as refugees. And um, now that process has been interrupted by the Taliban. So that is a Pray the News headline, and that will be a developing story that you will likely hear more and more about um, across news agencies today. All right. First up this morning in terms of our conversations during this hour, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. We like to um, ask Adam about things on the big and the small screen, things that we can watch with our families and maybe things that we should skip. We're going to talk about Oscar nominees. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl. And I have a stun Adam question to lead off with. I wonder if he knows about Satan Con. That's up first here on Mornings with Carmen. Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In joins us every Friday. Adam, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I'm great. So I know that you know about things like Comic-Con. What, if anything, do you know about Satan-Con? Well, a minute ago, I didn't know anything about it, but you (laughs) gave me just enough warning that through the wonders of Google, I am now an expert. Uh, This is a convention (laughs) that's going to be held in Scottsville, excuse me, Scottsdale, Arizona, which, of course, is a a suburb of Phoenix. And it's going to be the Satanic Temple's inaugural convention. Uh, They have a a lovely poster with a picture of Satan with a goat head, wings, and what looks like a skirt. Um, And they're going to be really... It looks super formal, like people are dressed in suits and sitting in a council meeting and it's um, and then other people are not dressed in that way. Um, It's a very it's an interesting assemblage of individuals who are rejecting tyrannical authority and advocating practical, uh, uh, practical justice directed by the human conscience. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's unpack that. Right. Because ultimately, (laughs) hey, uh, pop quiz, is it possible to be anti-authoritarian? No, it is impossible. Philosophically, I pretty much think I pretty much think if you are a Satanist, that you are acknowledging an authority outside of yourself. Well, there's that. But Mm -hmm. but even if you are saying you are the authority. Right. Um, Mm. Like I'm looking I'm looking at. um their scheduled activities. They have Satanic Jeopardy, which frankly I think I could do pretty well on. Uh, the Impurity Ball. I'll take a pass on that. Pass. Offsi- offsite event intended to be a quote display of bodily autonomy, personal growth, and the joys of sinning with abandon. It's interesting mm. to me that they're even still talking. Well, that about they would use sinning. the word sin, right? right? Um, Super but, curious. 
but it's about the individual autonomy. And so you are still under the authority of something. That something is yourself. And honestly, I think one of the questions I sometimes ask people if I'm in a good place with them relationally is, how's it going being the king or queen or sovereign, if we don't want to have a gender-specific title, of your own life? Because I tried it for a while, and it really stank. I'm actually a lousy king of my own life. Um, but that's obviously what's being pushed here. Uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting, and at the risk of being politically controversial, uh, attendees have to provide proof of vaccination and wear a mask. <laughs> and I'm like, really? So at the Satan conference, this anti-authority, you have to wear a mask and provide proof of vaccination. It's, it just struck me as absurd. <laughs> So um, I, in looking at the advertising for SatanCon, uh, the word Lupercalia uh, is on there. And this is actually um, apparently SatanCon this year is Lupercalia, uh, a, a celebration of that as well. And so I looked that up. Lupercalia is an ancient pagan festival held each year in Rome on February the 15th. And so maybe that's why SatanCon is taking place right now. It says, unlike Valentine's Day, Lupercalia was a bloody, violent, sexually charged celebration awash with animal sacrifice, random matchmaking, and coupling in the hopes of warding off evil spirits and infertility. Well, so I mean, that, that just sounds like HBO Max to me. I mean, yeah, honestly. So obviously, Adam and I are not recommending participation no. in Satan Con. We are, um, as brothers and sisters in Christ, making you aware that there are people actively participating in this right now in Scottsdale, Arizona. So let's be um, let's be praying for light and life. Let's be praying for repentance and awareness of the reality of sin, the reality of God. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. And let's be praying for the people, the Christians in Scottsdale and Phoenix to find openings of opportunity. Like, right, this is an every time there's this kind of public demonstration of evil and its elevation, um, there ought also to be an opportunity for the church um, to be salt and light. All right. During the Super Bowl, Adam, there is going to be an advertisement. Um, Actually, it's going to be a the very first time we're going to see a preview for a particular movie. And it's uh, a Lord of the Rings movie. And so um, what what are your expectations of that? Well, this is the new Amazon TV series that will debut in September. It's Lord of the Rings, the Ring of Power. And it is Amazon's attempt. Well, it's a blatant cash grab. Let's just start there. Uh, it's going to be the most expensive TV show ever produced. It's I think the entire series is something like $500 million. Um, and so... Lord of the Rings faithful will be like, cool, you know, we're going to see stuff from the Cimmerillion. We're going to get, you know, tales from the ages of Middle Earth before, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, there's a lot there. Tolkien had tons of notes. His son compiled a lot of that into, into books. Awesome, right? Well, let's pump the brakes. And here's why. Amazon's also been pretty forthright in saying this is going to be an M-rated show uh, it is really being, um, I think, positioned as almost a Game of Thrones-like show. And so the actors and actresses had to have sex and nudity and intimacy clauses in their contract. 
Um, mm. This is going to be a naughty version of Lord of the Rings. And I think the tragedy here is the still pictures I've seen look amazing. And the Lord of the Rings fan in me is incredibly excited. But I just think there's, from what we know so far, uh, there's going to be enough content here that this ain't going to be Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. This is going right. to be something else entirely. And that makes me very sad. And I think it would make Tolkien sad too, because it just seems like straight up exploitation of his legacy to me. Yeah. All right. We're talking with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. We're going to turn to some reviews that you can find at pluggedin.com up next. We'll be right back. All right, continuing our conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. You can find reviews that we're going to be talking about today and other articles at PluggedIn.com. Um, talk with us about Tiger Rising. Um, Tiger Rising is a really interesting film um, about a, well, it's one of these films that is about a whole bunch of things simultaneously. Uh, it is a children's book about friendship, and the tiger sort of serves in some ways a little bit as a metaphor. Uh, it's about a boy who finds a tiger uh, behind his hotel room. Um, and mostly it is a book that, excuse me, a movie based on the book that um, sort of unpacks that story. Um, but even though it's based on a kid's book, it's got a fair bit of content uh, and ultimately oh, without totally spoiling it, it ends in a pretty hard spot. So mm -hmm. it's, um, to use another yeah. animal metaphor, it's an odd kettle of fish because it seems <laughs> like it wants to be a family-friendly movie, but there's some hard sort of old yellowish stuff that goes on and some, you know, some mild profanities, even as it talks about the importance of friendship and, and really learning how to deal with our difficult emotions. So, uh, All right, so then it's there's, a strange there's, one. Yeah, it's a strange one. All right, so there's a, um, I would say, big movie coming out, Death on the Nile, certainly being yes. um, hyped a lot. Talk with us about Death on the Nile. Can we go see it? Um, you can, but don't expect your father's or your mother's or your grandmother's Agatha Christie story. Uh, mm -hmm. This stars Gal Gadot, and I think I am finally pronouncing her name Correctly, it's not a French name; it's uh, a Jewish name. Um, as the main character, and she plays an heiress who uh, is kind of obnoxious. Uh, her name's Lynette Ridgeway Doyle. She's just gotten married. She's taking all of her besties on a cruise on the Nile. What could be better? Well, the problem is she's such a jerk that everybody wants to kill her. And um, <laughs> let's just say somebody ends up dead. And thankfully, Kenneth Branagh's Hercule Poirot—you have to say it like that—his uh, Belgian detective with a massive mustache is on the case, trying to figure out who done it. So uh, it's a murder mystery. It differs from the original in that there are a couple of really, really sensual scenes that don't cross the border into like outright nudity. But uh, let's just say Agatha Christie didn't write scenes like those, so. It definitely gets a, a modern update from that perspective. And we get some, you know, some profanity. And, oh, also people die, more than one, actually. Um, so there's that. So I think if you're an Agatha Christie purist, you're liable to be disappointed with how much they've really kind of sexed this one up. 
All right. For those of you paying attention uh, to things on the big screen, Oscar nominations are out. I would encourage you to check out the Oscar nomination um, conversation at PluggedIn.com. Adam, I'd love to talk with you about what's happening this coming Sunday. The Super Bowl is going to be taking place. Do I need to turn it off during halftime? Well, we're going to get a halftime show which is really kind of a who's who of hip-hop royalty. So we've got Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, Kendrick Lamar, and Eminem all performing. And it's interesting. I have seen you know, ads saying that this is somehow going to be more family-friendly than some things they've done in the past. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Are you – I mean, I don't even know how they're going to do it. There's – so much profanity in most of these artists' songs that either they're going to have to self-censor or the beeper's going to be going like crazy. So, um, you know, I think Dr. Dre, when N.W.A. had their first album came out, low those many, many years ago in the late 80s, there were some really, really important statements about police brutality and injustice. Um, and But it's all drenched in so much content And from there, I think hip-hop in some ways lost that sort of social justice uh, focus that that N.W.A. had early on. And and I'll say also a social justice focus that uh, didn't have much good to say about police officers. So don't hear me Mm -hmm. lauding it. But if you go back and listen to Straight Outta Compton, uh, it's an interesting album and an interesting experience given where we're at now. All that to say... I don't know how they're going to have these people on stage without the sensor guy like having to get a splint on his finger afterwards from hitting the beat button. So Yeah, I don't I don't either. We we will not be watching the Super Bowl halftime show, but that's not unusual. We haven't watched it in a long long time. Um let's uh we so we had Jason Romano on from Sports Spectrum um and we talked a little bit about uh, American Underdog, which is just the latest football themed movie that is also, you know, featuring a redemptive storyline and it led me to think, "Hey, I should ask Adam are there some good football-related family movies that maybe we could watch in lieu of the Super Bowl? Well, you could watch We Are Marshall. You could watch Remember the Titans. You could watch Woodlawn. You could watch Facing the Giants. I mean, I think Facing the Giants in some ways was one of the Kendrick Brothers' early movies. I think it was their second movie after um, Flywheel. And it, in some ways, might be the most family-friendly of those I think if you want something that has a little bit more reality and grit, both We Are Marshall and Woodlawn deal a lot with racism. And so uh, we've got reviews on all of those up at at Plugged In. I loved Woodlawn, uh, and it was done um, by the Irwin brothers, who also did American Underdog. Um, I think it was unfortunate. Woodlawn's the name of the school. It's about racial segregation in the early 70s and how football becomes a uniting force. Uh, but there's somebody who's killed. Um, it's it, it has some tough scenes, but I thought it was a terrific movie. I thought the title was unfortunate because it sounds more like a funeral home than a football movie. But mm. uh, may, maybe Woodlawn, of everything on those lists, might be the one the fewest people listening today 
have actually heard or seen, heard of or seen. So it's worth checking out. Okay. The listeners are outraged that you have not yet listed Rudy, 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 oh, Rudy. Yeah. I mean, like Rudy, over, Rudy. over and over and over again. Right. Rudy. All right. So Chad, well, Lori, I, I mean, David, everybody, we hear you. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. I hear who, you. I see you on the text line. Rudy, Rudy. Love, who doesn't love a hobbit playing football? I mean, that's the bottom <laughs> Now stop. <line. laughs> now stop. You're going to now see. You guys can at Adam at PluggedIn.com. Adam Holtz, uh, thank you for joining us as always. You can check out all kinds of great resources from Focus on the Family at PluggedIn.com. We'll be right back. You got me singing like How would you respond if I asked you if you're lonely? Are you alone is a different question. Are you lonely? So how would you go about sort of discerning the answer to that question? How, how would you define loneliness? So I'm Carmen LaBerge. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. And one of the things that we do here is have conversations with researchers and with authors, seeking not only to understand what we're experiencing individually and collectively, but seeking to understand what we can do about it. And so we all know that there is an epidemic of loneliness in the world, and we all know that there are uh, occasions upon which or seasons during which we experience loneliness. We're going to talk with Susan Metis about why so many of us feel lonely and, and frankly, what we as Christians can proactively do about it. The loneliness epidemic is up next. So sometimes you learn something about somebody just before you get to talk with them and you say to yourself, I'm scrapping all my other questions and I'm just going to ask her why in the world she's in Tanzania and what time it is there. We're talking with Susan Metas. We are going to talk with her about her book, The Loneliness Epidemic, Why So Many of Us Feel Alone and How Leaders Can Respond. Susan Metas, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Is it even morning in Tanzania? What what in the world are you doing there? <laughs> I, I am not an early bird like the rest of you. It's about 4.30 in the afternoon here. And uh, I live here because my husband is the military diplomat. He works at the U.S. Embassy here. So it is, it is hot, hot summer right now. And uh, tomorrow I'll go to the beach with my toddler and we'll see if we can find new sea stars. Okay, I love that. Okay, so here's what I have learned about Tanzania since I just discovered that that's where you live. Uh, it is an East African country. It borders the Indian Ocean. So is that where you're going to the beach? Like you're going to be at the that's beach right. on the Indian Ocean? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Right. It neighbors Pretty Kenya cool. and Uganda to the north, Rwanda, Burundi, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which we actually have recently talked about here on the show. Uh, those are to the west, Zambia, Malawi, and Mozambique to the south. Now, I will tell you the only place in, in that entire list that I have been is Malawi, and I found the people there to be magnificent. 
Yes. Yes. There you go. It's, it's wonderful being a guest here. People are very friendly and polite and accommodating. And, and that really makes it easy to come as a foreigner. So um, you experience, I suspect, loneliness um, in in a variety of ways as a person deployed on behalf of the United States of America in, um, you know, in this particular way around the world. Um, that may give you some insights into the conversation that we're going to have. Your book is The Loneliness Epidemic, and you, you definitely approach this um, as a, you know, as a student of behavior. You're a behavioral scientist. And so let's talk about loneliness and where this, you know, conversation about the loneliness epidemic, you know, I know it comes out of research you did with Barna. So let's just talk with folks about that. Yeah. So this is a book that I, I am writing out of, uh, you know, a personal need. Um, I myself am very susceptible to loneliness, uh, being a foreigner, being a military spouse, being the mother of a young child. Um, but on the other hand, in some ways I'm not, I'm protected against it. Um, and so, uh, those things make it interesting to me and interesting to me as, you know, I, I'd like to help my loved ones through loneliness as well, Mm -hmm. but it was, it started being interesting to me when I was looking at all this data from, uh, Barner surveys and seeing that loneliness was playing a really big role in people's lives. And I just thought, Hey, we need to look more at this. We need to find out just how pervasive this is. And about that time, the surgeon general said that loneliness was a national epidemic, that it was having health effects that were showing up in our society, something similar to heavy smoking or obesity in terms of its health effects. And um, so we, we were able to do these surveys that helped us understand it, using people's own responses, how lonely they were, um, meaning how frequently they felt lonely, and then how painful it was for them. And it was, it was really interesting for me to hear from people how they characterized their own loneliness. And how you might answer those questions, like, you know, how often do you feel lonely or how painful is it? Those are kind of interesting self-reflective questions because the way that I answer that may may be very different than are you actually alone? Can you draw the distinction for us, the difference between loneliness or our experience of loneliness and being alone? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because... Um, it it leads us to some of the solutions. So being alone is not the same as loneliness. I, I think anyone who's felt left out at a party, uh, you know, understands that. But loneliness is a, a disappointment. It's feeling a difference between the relationships we have and the relationships we want. And um, so we often, when we think of loneliness, we think of singleness, we think of bereavement. Those are true, but it can also just mean that you don't have the depth of friendships that you'd like. And it can mean that somebody isn't there when you want to celebrate or when you want to grieve. So um, being alone is, you know, there are different forms of that. There's solitude where you um, don't have any intrusions on your privacy, where you are, it's just you and your thoughts. Um, there's also isolation where you don't have the access to people that you need for things that people do for each other. 
you know, we notice things are wrong with each other. We, you know, bring band-aids and cups of water and, you know, tell each other when we haven't woken up on time. Those are things that are really helpful that we can do for each other. And we up this idea of being in a group of people and being satisfied with relationships. That's really not how we come to be satisfied with our relationships. Um, that satisfaction actually comes from a sense of security, a sense of um, mutual concern, um, not just one-sided, um, and from being close to people, being familiar with them, running into them when you don't expect to. So all of those kinds of contact help people feel less lonely. And that's part of why it's contagious, both the lack of loneliness, so what you want, and loneliness are a little bit contagious. Hmm. We're talking with Susan Metis, among other things. She's the author of The Loneliness Epidemic. You can connect with Susan at her website, Susan Metis, M-E-T-T-E-S dot com. Um, Susan, when when we talk about this sense of belonging or this security that we experience or this mutual concern, um, that's not the same as like just being with people. There's something deeper going on there. Can you plumb that a little bit more? I know that one of the ways you talk about it in the book is that, you know, it's different to be in a marriage or in a family versus having a roommate or even, uh, you know, or even a friend. Can can you talk with us about uh, about those differences in terms of our, the way we experience and give language to loneliness? Yeah, yeah. One of those one of the main things that I looked into because it's almost the opposite of loneliness is belongingness. So Mm. you feel like you're at home when you're with somebody. And um, that comes from, like I said before, mutual concern uh, from trust, from feeling that that person has your, your um, best interests at heart um, and from liking that person. And so those things help us fight loneliness. So does a sense of security and that, you know, that can come from a lot of things. Even when we have people who are very good to us, we might not have security because it's not something that someone else can give to you. And um, I, you know, I, in the book, point people to God because I think that he is our true source of security, but we Mm -hmm. find that in a relationship with him and we find it in relationships really. Um, And in, in the belief that we are accepted and that we can be open so those things are, are really key. And you know what? We can find those in friendships. We can find those in non-romantic relationships. We can find those outside of our family. And I think that's one of the things that turned up in the research that really struck me was that Americans have narrowed down the people that they have these emotionally intimate relationships with. And that's been really bad for our loneliness. We need friends that we feel emotionally close to. And uh, we've we've started dropping those friends out of our lives. Americans have fewer friends, fewer close friends than we used to, fewer people that we talk over important issues than we used to. And um, also fewer people are getting married and they're getting married later. That has a huge impact on our loneliness as well. Marriage is something that generally protects against loneliness. Um, So all of those things are at play, but I would say one of the things that really stood out was that the least lonely people 
had many kinds of relationships. They had maintained relationships with friends, siblings, cousins, neighbors, uh, parents. All of these people were in their lives and close to them. Many kinds of relationships. I think one of the things that um, leapt to my mind as you were, you know, as you were talking about lots of emotionally intimate relationships and and how few of us have, you know, a wide diversity of emotionally intimate relationships like that, that has really narrowed um, over time. And it got me thinking, like, how many of us think like uh, the early church in terms of these are my mother and my brothers. This is the household of faith. These are the people for whom I'm going to make uh, I, for whom I have this deep concern and for whom I'm going to make personal sacrifices. So um, we're going to continue our conversation with Susan Metis about the loneliness epidemic. And we're going to pivot and we're going to talk about what are some practical things we can actually do about it. We'll also talk about the effects of social media as a part of this conversation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and we'll be right back. Lonely, I'm Mr. Lonely. I have nobody. So I really find myself just wanting to, like, walk around in the world with Susan Metis. She is uh, living currently in Tanzania with her family, where her husband serves uh, at the U.S. Embassy. And she is a mom. She is a behavioral scientist. She is an author. We're talking today about the loneliness epidemic. Uh, why so many of us feel alone, what we can do about it. You can find her online at Susan Metis, M-E-T-T-E-S dot com. Like, Susan, I really just, I, I just, I want to know, like, do you like go to the market? Uh, I assume there's not like a grocery store like there is here. Like, can you, I, I, I need to know a little bit more about like your day and what <laughs> life is like. Like, is there a water bowl at the table where you're expected to dip your hands in the water bowl before you eat in Tanzania like there was in Malawi? Like, I, I don't know. I need to know a little bit. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And you don't want to be the last to do that, do you? Right. Um, I, I live in a part of So Dar es Salaam is a huge city and very modern. So I, I go to some smaller shops for food and things like that. Um, you can't get everything that you can get here, but I can get something um, as fabulous as fresh pineapple juice with mint um, mm. and, you know, uh, all sorts of fresh fruits and vegetables very easily. Um, where we live, um, most people speak some English, but most people speak several languages. And so English might be their third or fourth or fifth language. And Swahili is a little closer. Now, I, I'm afraid I just have not learned Swahili yet. I just can't get by in it. If I could, then I would probably try going to the market because I do love markets. So I'm thinking but, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you to have a friend who speaks Swahili and English so you can go to the market. Like, Thank right? you. Yes. Right at the point of intersection, right? <laughs> um, so, okay. So now here, this is going to be a, a question asked in, in ignorant curiosity. Is that okay? Can I ask a, like, yeah. I'm, I'm ignorant and curious. So you know that somewhere in our imaginations as Americans, we think that anybody that works for America in a foreign country lives at the embassy, but clearly you don't live at the U.S. Embassy in Dar es Salaam. So am I right? 
<laughs> that's right. That's right. So, um, I do go to the embassy sometimes. Um, there's, you know, a pool there that I can use and some other things. And that's where we get our mail, but, um, we live in a house that has a yard that has banana trees and all that. Um, and you know, we drive our own cars. We, you know, live, live what's probably not too far from the life of, of someone who's in a kind of a suburban area because this area has houses with yards. So Mm -hmm. we have an, uh, we have an American kitchen. We have, uh, you know, a house that is not very American in the way that it looks, but we live a lifestyle that's not really that far off what we have in the U.S. All right. So um, we have some friends who are texting in this morning and their granddaughter uh, now lives in Hawaii. um, And there is um, a retired engineer who lives there who built the Tanzania-Zambia Railway or worked for that authority back in the day. There you go. Oh, wow. People are people are all over the place listening today to our conversation, and um, I just love that. I love the way that God makes connections, and I think we can we can think about you and we can pray for you much more, you know, like specifically because I can at least envision. I mean, you know, you kind of suggested that everybody has banana trees in their yards, and I don't have a banana tree in my <laughs> yard, so now I'm a little bit jealous, but that's okay. Um, so let's talk about even just what we just did, which is by genuine curiosity or out of genuine curiosity, get beyond the most surface level of a conversation where I'm just trying to get information out of you about your book and, you know, check off a list of questions that I prepared in advance to talk about. Instead, like my heart is moved. I, you know, I want to know about your life. I care about you. I am thankful that your husband is serving the U.S. military in this way. I mean, on my behalf in a place in the world where I will very likely never set foot. Um, I'm, I'm concerned about you as a, you know, as a sister in Christ. I'm, I'm interested in your welfare. And when you talk about loneliness and the remedies for it, that's really where you hone and focus in. We have to be curious and concerned about one another and really want to allow one another into kind of the mess of our lives versus just grabbing a cup of coffee every once in a while. Yes, I think that's so true. And there's nothing wrong with grabbing a a cup of coffee every once in a while. But if you want to fight loneliness, then you take those opportunities to deepen a relationship. That's really, there aren't quick fixes for loneliness because what loneliness is um, solved by is mature, close relationships. And so when we try to address it, it's, it's initiating that deepening process ourselves. It's helping other people uh, engage in that. And it's, um, it's also just, you know, being facilitators of people having high quality interactions, high quality time together. Uh, So yes, I think what you're doing is exactly right. This is how we start solving it is getting to know people, getting to like people, expressing concern, um, and then getting wrapped up in each other's lives. Now, I, I hear a lot about um, hospitality that that can make it sound like it's um, you know very sacrificial 
I would say the sort of hospitality, the sort of welcoming someone into your life that's going to address loneliness is going to be fun. It's going Uh to be something that allows you to enjoy having someone else in your house, allows you to enjoy your time with them. And I think that's one of the things that we so often miss when we talk about um, problems that have this kind of social and spiritual dimension is it's probably going to feel pretty good when we start working against those things that have been hurting us. Yeah, basic um, uh, basic friendliness is maybe not enough. We got to actually like serve our literal neighbors um, is one of the ways that I've heard you express this. We want to talk about yeah. friends and we want to talk about neighbors more than we talk about maybe like coworkers or or family. Like let's talk about actual friends and developing real friendships and actual neighbors and how we're literally serving um, one another out of you know because we like each other not not out of some obligation or duty but because we genuinely have a mutual concern one for the other. Um, What a delight to make your acquaintance today. Um, Susan, blessings on you and your family. Have a wonderful, um, wonderful trip to the beach at the Indian Ocean. We'll all just be a little bit jealous of that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. I hope um, I hope we can talk again. That's Susan Metis. She is, among other things, the author of The Loneliness Epidemic. You can find her and the book at Susan Metis, M-E-T-T-E-S dot com. We'll be right back. So it's Friday. So a quick Friday farm report here. Um, it is that time of year when the tractor tires are at issue. Um, there is a conversation about taking the lawnmower to be serviced and who's going to do that and when that could happen. There is a, a, an ongoing fight that we're having keeping the track on the bobcat. I don't even know exactly what that means, but I can tell you that when it comes off, uh, getting it back on is quite the labor. And Jim, my husband, is uh, pretty dirty after the fact. So uh, it's that time of year. It's like the stuff that has to happen so that all the stuff that needs to happen when it's time to get a garden put together in the spring and all of that. So we are in that part of the process. Feels like a little bit like maintenance mode, but also like preparation mode. Wonder what mode you are in where you're living um, as you look forward to the spring, which now lies ahead. Maybe it feels like the depths of winter where you are, but here's the good news. Spring is coming. Know how I can tell? My daffodils are already up. Yep. That's what's going on here. What's your Friday farm report where you are? Maybe you're going to the market today. Spread a little love uh, and joy of the gospel with others. Be a curious person. Ask somebody a question. Initiate a relationship. Bridge the gap. All right. Have a great day and God bless. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.